welcome to Conversations About Life. Okay, well, hello, Jonathan Swenson. How are we doing today? I am doing well, Skylar. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for taking me on. We were just talking about being the guinea pigs. So this is my first time ever leading a podcast or ever being able to guest host a podcast. So first of all, thank you very much, Will Jackson, for yes. um, braving, being brave enough to ask me to be a part of this. But I was fortunate enough to be on Will's podcast. And ever since then, um, Will and I have been meeting every every about month or so, um, continuing the conversation. And so he just asked me to be a part of it. Um, and so before you get started, Jonathan, before I start talking about you and kind of getting into your story. Um, I would love to just preface this conversation with how and why I, I asked to bring you into the conversation. Can I just um, do a time out real quick before you do? Definitely do that. Just make sure technically, since we're both figuring this out, you're fuzzy to me. Do you look fuzzy to you? You're fuzzy to me as well. And is that okay? I think that's okay. As All long right. As, as long as I see audio being being utilized on the bottom of us, I think we're doing okay. All right. Great. You okay. were saying, sorry, um, you're fine. Again, guinea pigs, we can, I know I've listened to Will's podcasts and things have interrupted and it's just a, uh, it's the natural nature of the podcast in conversations about life. We don't really have a plan, right? Life isn't always yeah. planned. That is correct. Yeah. So I first met Jonathan tertiarily, I think through the theater scene of Cedar Rapids um, we both, or I grew up in near Cedar Rapids. Jonathan, did you grow up in Cedar Rapids? No, I grew up in Two Harbors, Minnesota on the scenic Minnesota. North Shore. Yeah. <laughs> so, but spent a lot of your time down in Cedar Rapids. And so we met tertiarily um, in Cedar Rapids through the theater, Cedar Rapids theater scene. And then it was once I left for college and I don't know, even know how we got interrupted or inter, um, started interacting with each other that it came to, I don't know if you knew me from tertiarily from the theater scene that you just said, Hey, would you be interested in coming to a church camp? Yeah. And you happened to hit me at a point in my life where I was in such a need for that. Mm -hmm. And I remember turning down different opportunities in the theater world. That was my first some, I think it was maybe my second summer in mm -hmm. college theater. So I could have done more theater opportunities and obviously you and I did a ton of theater while we were at the church camp, but um, I just felt really called to be a part of that space that summer. Um, yeah. And just why I'm bringing this up and why I want to commend you through this story is um, I came to you in that moment and said, you were you know, excited about me being a part of the space and being a, a theater guy with you and, and having those conversations and talk to you. But I was very honest with you in saying, Jonathan, I am clueless about my faith. I have no idea what I think, what I believe, what I know. Is it okay if I come to your church camp uh -huh. and try to be some sort of leader at your church camp with mm -hmm. that awareness? And you graciously said yes and welcomed me into the space. Um, and you kept with that throughout the summer and welcomed the conversations, welcomed the questions. We were talking mm -hmm. yesterday before our podcast about our time that we went to the Perkins restaurant um, at like 12 a.m., just because we were sitting in the church and we're like, want to like go? 3 a.m., Skylar. 3 a.m.? Like, yeah. Something, yes. Definitely had responsibilities the next day, but we forgot uh -huh. about those. Yeah. Um, and just we've, since the church camp, you know, went and have had many conversations since about potentially doing projects. But nevertheless, whenever we have a conversation, it's always 
about something exciting, something, you know, about our lives, but also, you know, something that need, is always a brewing, always something that we could to be talking about. And so when I thought about who to chat with for this podcast, I thought of Jonathan, you, my friend. So I'm honored. with all that being said, I consider you a mentor. I consider you somebody I very much look up to. Um, I would love to start this conversation. You can start from two harbors or two, two, what is it? Two, two harbors. harbors. You yep. can start from two harbors, Minnesota, if you'd like, or you could start with um, some stories in your life that made you, I mean, into the sure. person you are, that makes you sure. somebody that I can look up to. Uh, sure. It makes you into the mentor, into the person you are. So go ahead and start. Oh, I'm honored by your introduction. And I'm going to, I'm going to clarify some things from my point of view, Skylar. <laughs> okay. First of all, the funny thing is two harbors actually has three harbors depending on how you count them. So you can never really fully trust anything. It's a moral of the story. you got to look at it from different angles, right? So why did I ask you to come to camp? We really, I don't, th I don't think we actually met Skylar until you came to camp. We talked as I was recruiting you. Mm -hmm. But I was always on the lookout in this role as the director of programming at this camp for quality young adults with leadership gifts. I needed some theater people. I always wanted at least one gunner in theater. But I could tell from watching you from a distance, you're about the age of my girls. And so I saw you in local community theater stuff and show choir and stuff. And you were clearly a leader. You seemed to have a good heart. I scoped you out a little bit. I passed you in the hallway at some show choir competition. You don't even know this, I don't think. And observed and watched you interact with other people. And then we talked. I gave you a call out of the blue. I think that's the first time we talked. Mm -hmm. And you were honest. You weren't as honest as you were just now at the time. You were a little <laughs> more shaded and, or, you know, reserved in how you said that. But you were, you were clear where you were at and where you, the questions you had. I knew that I had some, some folks on staff who were going to be able to answer the hard questions, like with high schoolers, middle schoolers, at that level of stuff, in, in line with where we were at with our, our faith at the camp. And I needed some gunners to work with elementary who the kids would fall in love with. We needed kid magnets and I needed a theater stud and you were that. And it turned out great. It turned out much even better than I imagined. You're in the hall of fame. So for those listening, that's the real. <laughs> um, we had a great summer though. And I loved how you interacted. The thing I remember about you in terms of leadership, you know, there's certain people who are in the hall of fame who worked at that camp for different reasons. There's tons of amazing people who've worked there. I think the thing I remember most about you is the very first day, I've probably told you this, but the very first day we're getting people together and I'm usually working pretty hard to form community from the get-go, you know, even beforehand online and getting people interacting, but I had to leave the room to go get something. The first time we're together, like in the first minutes, I go down to the office, I get whatever it is, I come back. This is the only time in eight years I worked there this happened. You, this dude from Iowa, the theater boy, by the time I get back five minutes later, has everybody doing the interactive, I think probably a theater mixer game, getting to know <laughs> names and a little rhyme to it and laughing and having a ball. I walk in the room, it's already happening and I haven't done a thing. That's leadership. That was you. <laughs> that was, you know, it just got better from there. So that's how we got together, Skyler. That's the real story. Yeah, it was an amazing summer, genuinely. Yeah. And for my four years of college, when I remember back on it, it was that summer hanging out on a lake in Alexandria, Minnesota. Never thought yeah. I would have done that, but it is genuinely such a, yeah, such a pivotal moment, I guess, in, in my story and, and kind of, yeah. you were a huge part of that. So getting yeah. back to you, my friend, tell me mm -hmm. about, you can even start, you know, how did you end up getting to Mount Carmel? What is your kind of trajectory before yeah. that? 
Um, I'm going to say one more thing about you and Cam, then I'll be done. <laughs> okay. I love the whole questions thing, and that kind of leads into who I am too and who yeah. you are. If, if somebody is solid, I believe in their faith. There's no reason to be afraid of questions at all. Mm-hmm. If our God, if God is a God of truth, an absolute truth, it, the truth is going to come out one way or the other. There's no fear of questions. If there has to be fear, there's some there's something wrong in that equation. Mm-hmm. So ask away, challenge, push. Let's just keep the spirit of conversation open. And you have that whole heart. So we had some good conversations. I think you had some with the other, you know, fellow staff people as well. And that was cool. So who am I? I am a Lutheran pastor's kid, third of three kids. My folks were missionaries in Africa. I was conceived on the plains of Tanzania, but never set <laughs> I always say that. I was never there as a kid. Um, My parents came back, never went back. They thought they would be there for life. And um, politically, things were kind of in a a hot mess at the time. And so Americans and Europeans kind of had to cool and chill for a while. And dad ended up not going back. That was clearly the glory years of his life. And so I grew up, we would have missionaries and we'd have pastors and we'd host people at at our house all the time. And whoever was there, we would show, dad and mom would show slides of Africa. And I was never in any of the pictures. I was the third of three kids. And it was clearly the glory years. So I think I had a little bit of a complex figuring out where do I fit in this family. Then third kid, usually the third, the last kid's a performer. So because we're trying to find our place and get attention. I was wired with creativity and a lot of joy. And I think pivotal moments in my life that brought me to theater were um, I don't know, age seven or eight, late night TV. My dad always wanted us to go to bed early, but mom on the weekend would let us stay up late. And we watched Singing in the Rain. I had never seen anything like it, fell in love with it. Then I think I saw Fiddler on the Roof in the theater. This guy comes pulling up a cart and he starts singing and Sound of Music saw in the theater um, and just fell in love with the concept, with the whole joy of it all expressions of the emotion. And then I saw my first live play, I think um, probably kindergarten maybe. And all I remember about the play is it was in a bar room and there was a comedic character sleeping in the bar and he had a top hat on his tummy. And when he was breathing, it would go up and down, up and down. No dialogue at that moment. The theater was just dying laughing and it was magical to me. And even at that age, I said, "You somehow they've created a whole new world here, and I'm in love with it. So I fell in love with it, started doing community theater, had a great community theater where I was growing up, went to the big city of Duluth, Minnesota, when I got to be upper age in high school. I thought I'd been, it was on Broadway, studied in college, and just kept going. The other key part of my life, as you know, is faith. So Lutheran pastor's kid, and my faith is very genuine to me. It's at the core of who I am. Um, it's at the center of what I do, but my journey is probably a lifelong journey of putting those two things together. Where do I put my faith? That's at core, the core of who I am and very, very strong messages from my parents about faith and staying in the faith, mostly good, but some pressure there too. Um, and then how do I use the love of theater within that faith paradigm? Um, so I have spent my life, I went to seminary, became a Lutheran pastor. I felt the call to do that, um, but used drama from the get-go as a way to supplement regular teaching and sermons and knew instinctively the power of that. I'd been doing it my whole life anyway. But when you put that, mixed it in with the gospel, 
people sat up and listened, Skylar. I mean, I all pastors think they're good preachers. There's some stat out there that says every pastor thinks they are uh, above average or something like this compared to everybody else. But they all rank themselves that way, so somebody's kidding themselves. I'm a decent preacher, but I know every time I preach, even my best one, somebody's doing their grocery list or talking about what they're doing for brunch or some other stuff is going on. When you do drama, as you know, just about everybody in the place is leaning in because it's the power of story. You want to know what happens and how it resolves. And when you combine that with the proclamation in, in my faith of Christ, it's just an incredibly powerful combination. So that's what I spent my life doing. Started the theater, traveled around the country for about 10 years doing one-man multi-character shows and raised some kids. Got a beautiful wife, not in that order. And then I met you. <laughs> not in that order. That's who I am. I love how it finished with meeting me. <laughs> yeah. All culminated in Skylar. Yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like we could, we were talking yesterday and we were talking about the many ways this conversation could go, but I was going to actually, um, because I felt like a lot of your story is this intermingling between faith mm. and theater and drama yeah. and theater. And also very much a passion project of mine is the, my four-year degree as well. Did you mm. get a four-year degree in theater? You know, it's a great question. Technically, I'm a psych slash theater major with a minor in music. And technically, technically, I'm missing one credit in the technical arts in my theater major, but they still gave me the diploma. So <laughs> I have the degree. Um, so I was a four-year school, but I was okay. studying liberal arts. I was studying a little bit of everything, music, psych, and, and theater. Most yeah. of my time spent in the theater, though, and in a volunteer faith-based organization. Okay. But a lot of them. So yeah. what so my my curiosity came when you talked about then later going into seminary and yeah. I would love to hear yeah. because you know maybe that's my journey as well that I'm on a transition to whatever that next thing is yeah. what was from you know psych theater yeah and how long ago how long was between that what was kind of happening yeah. between that before you decided yeah. seminary and did yeah. you always intend when you went to seminary to uh jump into or intermingle these or was it like a transition and I'm going to be a pastor yeah. or what was your kind of thought process going into seminary? Yeah. Very relevant questions. Um, I had this older brother and a sister and then me sister went into nursing. My older brother became a pastor um, before I did. He was five years ahead, but I was the one, all the parishioners in our small little town would always say, you're going to be a pastor someday, you know, and pinch your teeth and that whole thing. Like, mm. and, and they never said that to my brother. He's very yeah. scientific oriented, very intellectual. He was going to be an oceanographer. And then God tapped him on the shoulder. He became a pastor. Um, I was kind of supposed to be. That was my destiny. I used to go in late at night on Saturday night and get in the pulp and pretend to preach. But I, I personally did not want to be by the time I was eight or 10. I want to be an actor. That, that passion was there in my high school locker when everyone else had pictures of Olivia Newton-John, whoever else in their locker, guys, although I did have one picture of Olivia Newton-John in my locker. But other than that, it was plastered with theaters. It was all theater, house shots. Um, so I also, like my uncles, um, cousins, there are just a million pastors on every side of the family for me. You can't spit without hitting one. And so I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. And I had this love for theater. 
So I kind of resisted that sense of call, even though it was a natural fit, but I kept being very active in my faith and kind of music drama teams in college and that kind of thing, the kinds of things we did at camp. Um, my junior year of college, so third year, and in Lutheran tradition, different denominations do this differently. Some Now you could just go online and, and get ordained and, you know, it's very different. In the Lutheran tradition, four years of undergrad, four years of grad school for a master's degree to be a pastor. So it's always four years, four years in the Lutheran church. My, my junior year of college, I had been doing theater and everything else. And I got to the start of that year. And for whatever reason, the, the shows they were doing weren't real appealing to me. But I just decided I was not feeling the joy I had had the whole rest of my life. Something definitely had changed. Couldn't put my finger on it. And I said, I'm going to take a year off. And, not, and I, I had done multiple shows since seventh grade just packed tons in there every year. So took the year off and I took some, I took Greek to prepare to go to seminary. I thought maybe I'm supposed to do this. Did not have a good experience with that. I didn't have a good connection with the prof. Um, put that on pause. Then I, senior year, I did shows, had a good experience with it again. Um, got some nice affirmation that year. Went to on a traveling team to Africa. So I closed the loop in my mind um, on this outreach team of music and drama and testimony. Saw the areas where my friends, where my family had been and where I hadn't been. So was able, that was super meaningful to me. While in Africa, I was really wrestling with this question. Am I supposed to go to seminary or am I gonna be a pastor? And I felt like if I was gonna go to seminary up to that point, I was doing it because of the family pressure. You know, I grew up on the farm, so I'm going to farm kind of thing. Did not want to do it because of that. On my team, I had four other people, a married couple and a guy and a gal who fell in love and me. <laughs> First time in my life, I had been lonely, truly lonely. I always had a ton of friends. We're halfway through six months in Africa, and I am really, really miserable in terms of the relational part. Great experience, but lonely. I'm in the middle of a field. We had a day off, the couple's off doing the one thing, the falling in love couples, did, and I'm in a field literally in a hut. You can, There's nothing around me but planes as far as you can see. And I read my Bible and I, I, I asked, literally, it sounds like something you make up, but it actually happens this way sometimes. I was reading my, a passage and I said, God, I'm really looking for an answer. Read a passage from Isaiah that said, I have called you from the ends of the earth. I look up. It looks like at the end of the earth. It's like coming alive. I have called you by name. Didn't hear any audible voice or anything. I have chosen you. You are my servant. I will be with you. Do not fear that type of passage. And I had, there's two times in my life when I have had this, this way, no other time. Once when I asked God about being a pastor and one was, should I marry Jana or not? Should I propose? And both questions I struggled with. I had this I read that passage, I look up, I'm at the ends of the earth, and my whole body went just like on fire, warm, really warm. And I didn't hear God say, do this, but I felt God say, do this. And I did. I went and did it, and I felt good about it. I have never doubted that call. It's been hard at times. It is a hard, hard call. Um, but I always, I knew that I was called, and I still know that I'm called but the path I took was still pretty unconventional. Went to seminary, fell in love with Jana. We met in undergrad. She hadn't been a Christian, had just recently became one right when we started dating. 
she was kind of growing her faith. She helped me see the world from a much less sheltered vantage point than I had grown up in, fairly sheltered. Radically different. Party, sorority girl meets sheltered Lutheran pastors, small town kid. And we helped each other grow a lot. We stretched each other, really. She decides she's going to go to seminary. I tried to tell her, talk her out of it. She said, if I pass Greek first year, I'm going to go. She did. She's been an amazing pastor. So we're in parish ministry. I'll jump ahead in the story. Use drama through the whole time um, to supplement. Somewhere along the lines, we went to a conference at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, which has had seasons of really wonderful things and recently some hard stuff going on there. But it, um, they did an arts conference every year for several years where they used the arts so powerfully to prepare the congregation to then hear the preaching. It didn't take the place of preaching, but it set up the heart and the mind, kind of tilled the soil to hear whatever the topic of the day was. So they would do music, dance, uh, poetry, drama. And by the time the preacher stood up to give the message on that topic, you were so prepared with questions and wondering what the Bible has to say about it that you would listen to anything they said not necessarily believe it or not, but you were prepared to, to think about it and to feel it. I cried through the first two years I went to that conference. I, I quite cried constantly for four days in a row because it was, it was me. It would have been you too, by the way. It was so at the very core of my DNA, because for me, it combined faith and the arts. Up to then, I'd seen cute little church skits. <laughs> but they were always like a five-minute skit where somebody does something terrible. Then they say, I'm sorry, and God forgives them. And it's all wrapped up in a bow. The problem's all resolved, like the Brady Bunch syndrome. It's all done in fine in 30 minutes. Life isn't that way. These skits and these dramas didn't resolve everything. They would let there be tension if there was tension. There was a, Some of them were very funny, but some you'd be weeping. And that's real life. That's what life is for people sitting out in the pew or the seats. So now they see that's really my life being portrayed on that stage. Now I truly, I might've been dragged here by my spouse or my friend. I didn't really want to be here. Now I really am dialed in because they just named my life situation honestly. Okay. So what does the Bible have to say about it? I'll, I'll listen for a few minutes. I'll give this thing a shot. And it was so, so overwhelming and powerful that set the course for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. So I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm constantly, I think every time we talk, I think Jonathan, more and more revelations come up about the similarities mm -hmm. between our stories. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I don't need to talk about my story, but I just, it just continues like, surprise me how how much mm -hmm. we kind of relate to each other in a lot of different ways and so yeah. Yeah. again i just really appreciate you um so i i i was kind of drawn to um and i, I would love for you to share kind of how paraphrase then came yeah. to be out of that those experiences yeah. um and maybe if you can take it even further into where i mean I, yeah. I would love to talk about paraphrase for a little bit because I would love to hear your story about what um, mm -hmm. or your your kind of theories or psychology around what you believe paraphrase and and yeah. is it yeah. is it trying to exemplify what you experienced at that conference? Because I'm thinking about that yeah. conference as people yeah. who are ready to wrestle with challenging ideas. Yeah, and well, I know it's... some of your clientele maybe with paraphrase want that nice kind of story with faith, yeah. you know, so or maybe the churches you go to. And so I'm curious, yeah. 
where art plays into it. How much do you think about paraphrase as a challenger yeah. of and asking questions and going in and, and really diving in? Or is it about hope? Is it about joy? What is what is yeah. your story that you see paraphrase really building into and, and share yeah. also with the crowd, I guess, what paraphrase yeah. is? Yeah. I love I love the questions. I haven't talked about this for a while. So COVID has put a pause on a lot of this. So this is fun. Um, so I'm glad you asked this because I wanted to talk about this guy, major mentor in my life, Kurt Cloninger, um, actor, playwright, who wrote a lot of the material I perform. When I had just graduated from seminary in 1994, I was at a Christian bookstore about to head to Clear Lake, Iowa for my Woo-hoo. first call. <laughs> I saw a video on the clearance shelf called Witnesses, One Man, Eight Characters, The Life of Christ. Five bucks. I still have a little red tag, five bucks clearance. Pulled it out the shelf. We still had VHS at that time. Went home and watched it and went, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. This was before the arts conference. It was the other watershed moment. Uh, it was so, so um, effective in telling the life of Jesus in a modern day setting um, that people would relate to and understand in, in our world today. And I said, I knew somewhere, somehow I'm going to do this or something like this. I got to my first call, Clear Lake. Shortly into it, I tracked down Kurt and said, I'm a pastor. I have a theater degree. I think I would do okay with your material. I wouldn't trash it. Can I do this? And he immediately politely said, no. That's his bread and butter, copyright. That's how he makes his living. And I understood that. He had a few other things he was selling, but two or three shows that he didn't let anyone else do. So, okay. Put it on the shelf. Now and then, I showed a few clips in confirmation, and I had permission to do that from him. 15 years later into the ministry, I am going on sabbatical. My first sabbatical, I had three months to study something that would be different than my normal routine to refresh and renew and was headed to Mount Carmel where Jana had started to work part-time. I was just going to go up for the summer and join her for my sabbatical. So I believe the Holy Spirit prompted me to remember Kurt. I called him up, found him, tracked him down again in Georgia And for whatever reason, I was just going to do one character. And I said, I'm just going to do whatever character it was. And I explained to the camp. And he said, no, that's fine. Like he said, I've got one other guy who's doing a couple things somewhere in the South. It sounds all right. Go for it. Did that. Went well. And I said, can I do another character? (laughs) And kind of not intentionally. I never planned to do the whole thing. Um, But it built up where I had almost the whole show. And I said, it's near the end of my spat. Can I do it? It's the end of the summer. He said, go for it. Did it. Went back to home to Cedar Rapids in the fall and said, can I do it here in the town where I've been living for several years? Um, and at the time, it was the little tiny, um, is it Grandland Studio and in, in Theater Cedar Rapids, the basement theater, the town. Oh, yeah. the mm-hmm. They had just opened up this room. It wasn't ready for theater. The lighting wasn't really set. They didn't have any seats, but they knew they were going to try something post-flood. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've got the show. I'd love to do it. They were renting it out at the time. We went down there, kind of made a little theater, brought in folding chairs before the theater. TCR had done anything. Um, and it had all kinds of sightline issues. It was a, basically I was the guinea pig for them. Right. And But people came. It went really well. Pastors started asking if I'd come to the church. TCR learned a lot. And within a few weeks, they had seats and curtains and they were doing everything. Um, But it was really fun. That place means a lot to me. So it was fun to debut it there. But pastors started asking for it. I hadn't set out as that to be the plan. 
So I think a lot of times in life, we set our plans and God, you know, that whole saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Had I known he was going to bless that, I would have been stoked. It would have been awesome. But I was still in the parish and that's a time commitment. So I had to keep minimal time given to this theater project. But I started getting these calls. Hey, I've heard about this. Will you come to my church and do it? Eventually, it reached the point where I had to make the decision. To, am I going to go full time? And I, there was a lot of stuff going on in other ways in the ministry, in life, in relationships. And it, it seemed like that was the door God was giving me to say, it's, it's time to leave the parish and go do this. Which I would have, because of my heritage I told you about, I would have been hesitant to, to be a loyal son to the traditional farming way. I would have stayed at the church. Things were tough there. I didn't leave because they were tough. I left because I had a call. And that there was a big difference between the two to me. So what is it and what is it? Why am I so passionate about it? What's the goal there? I also did a lot of um, theater in the community wherever I lived, as you know. Um, loved doing that for a variety of reasons. One of the main ones was I got to interact with people and just be me and not have the role of pastor on me so much. And I hope and I strive to live as the same person in either place. I hope I'm authentic. But there wasn't any expectation. Um, and so whenever I moved in a new community, I never told them I was a pastor until I, I couldn't. They found out because I just didn't want to have that. If people know you're a pastor, they either avoid you the rest of the time or they tell you exactly where they're at in faith or not in faith so you won't bring it up again. And it's just a barrier. I, didn't, I wanted to establish friendships and relationships without that before they knew and kind of did that the first show I did. Um, and then I always say, they find out I'm a pastor, but it's too late. They already like me. We're already <laughs> friends. And, but I love breaking down the stereotype. I love breaking down. People would often, they still say when I do community theater shows, you don't seem like a pastor or the average pastor. There's something different. It's fun to get to know just a re the real person. And there are a lot of wonderful pastors who do that kind of thing in their own world. But for these folks, it was their first experience with it. That's meaningful to me. I also knew being a Christian, I wanted them to know the Jesus I know, but for whatever reasons, people had barriers, they had bad experiences, they had intellectual questions, doubts, whatever their thing was. And I knew most of these friends, even if I said, hey, come to, come to my church sometime on a Sunday when I'm preaching, I'd love to have you come see what that's like. A few have come over the years, but not many. Mm -hmm. I knew that for all those reasons, they probably never set foot in the door of the church. But if I did a play, they're there. They're, my, they're actors. We share that passion. Sure enough, several of them came to witnesses. A ton came to witnesses. Sparked some neat conversation. You know, and just moved the dialogue further down the road. What I love about Paraphrase is it really makes Jesus relevant and real. I think the church over the centuries, we've put so much religiosity on top of who Jesus is. And how can we not? We have to apply the world we know. But I think we've put layers and layers and layers and made Jesus often so religious. And I don't think he was religious at all. He broke down religiosity and he was always challenging the Pharisees. The only people he was ever mad at was the Pharisees, right? The religious people. He was just incredibly relational, incredibly in tune with people and their hurt and their need, their spiritual, emotional need, physical need, and was so, I believe, so winsomely present relationally that people said, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but I want a part of it. Uh, tell me what this is about. And people followed him. 
not because he had some magical spiritual glow in his eyes or made the right hand signals. It's because how he related to them and loved them. He loved people well and told great stories. So what does paraphrase do? I'm not wearing my dad's bathrobe and a Burger King collar when I'm, you know, crowned as a king. I'm wearing clothes that you and I wear today. It's all in a modern day setting using modern day vernacular. So people can say, what would, the, what would this look like if it happened today? And there, if, you know, if, if the acting is decent enough that I can get out of the way and let the character speak, it's just so cool, Skylar, to see how people respond to it. And the feedback has been very meaningful. So when I... I can get emotional talking about it. It's a powerful thing when you know, and I don't experience this after every performance. I like anything. Sometimes you'd have an awesome night and everything goes. Other nights you go, well, that was like Kurt says, that's me against them tonight. And I lost. Um, by the way, Kurt over time handed more and more over. And now we've got a great friendship and partnership and he gets a percentage of my earnings. So he's happy with that. And it's been good. But when I, after a good night, I get in the car, all my props and little set pieces and everything, costumes are in the car and I'm driving away and it's tiring, it's exhausting. And I'm hitting the road, but I have such absolute certainty that I'm doing, this is why I'm here. This is what God created me to do. Unlike anything other than being a dad at certain times in raising my kids, I knew I was meant to do that. Other times you go, parenting's a whole other issue. You doubt everything. Um, that level of certainty and fulfillment. That's why I'm here. Um, just really, really cool to experience that. And it resolved for me the tension or answer the question why I had such a heritage in the faith in one hand, but one that kind of didn't let me run with my dream to be an actor, to go to Hollywood and be mm -hmm. a star on Broadway or the movies. My dad was cautious about that because of his Lutheran piety and more conservative. It's a whole other story. But it put together something that's very genuine to me, my faith with my passion. And isn't that what we're all called to do? You know, whatever that core passion of yours is, what can make a difference and help the world? That's what you're meant to do. Um, so I love it. It's a long answer to your question. I haven't had to answer that for a while. Uh, no, I think I, that's wonderful. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think yeah. I could, I could ask about, um, I think I, I, two questions came to my mind there where I, I was curious. Um, I was curious if there's, if there's any either performances that you have done personally. Mm -hmm. I, I have two, two frames of mind here. So you can maybe choose which, which question you, which Avenue you want to fly down. But um, is there something that you have done personally that has really, cause I know, I know when I, you know, when I did a, a performance of a play, um, after like the fourth time of it, yeah. I, um, you know, I did it, I did, went down to South Carolina or North Carolina and we did it at this other place mm -hmm. and I was, it, it felt off. It was still a fun yeah. performance. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. It was good. Um, we came back and we had another performance and it was fine. We kind of had a Q and a yeah. afterwards. It was good. And then the next yeah. night there was a moment in it because it was very serious. It was about, a you know, a couple in a very poetic way describing yeah. the kind of loss of loss of their child, right? The young child, which is just yeah. a hard topic. But it mm -hmm. wasn't until the second, the fourth show, the final show we did together, that um, somebody laughed at a moment, uh, right in the beginning. That yeah. all of a sudden the whole play lifted, and not only did we experience something different, like us, yeah. as we just realized, oh, we could actually be kind of playful in the pain. Yeah. 
yeah. but also the audience was willing to laugh and also, you know, they'll still experience all the painful moments, but they also yeah. saw that there's still hope and joy in the midst of a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I guess we're going to go down that conversation then. What, yeah. what is maybe you personally, is there a, a story or an experience that you've had in the theater mm-hmm. that has either, you could either share about an experience somebody else had while watching your play some mm-hmm. plays, or have you ever personally through your performances as the actor um, mm-hmm. experienced something profound that kind yeah. of shifted yeah. your frame or shifted your perspective on, on your reality of, 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 of what your world kind of looks like? Yeah. A number of times there is a challenge in performing the same show hundreds of times mm-hmm. to, and there's emotional places where, you know, I usually cry here or, and I have really, um, I had the undergrad degree, but you know, that's still only X number of classes for that degree. There's still a lot more to learn after an undergrad degree. And I've learned by doing the freedom of being in the moment in those scenes to, um, the more emotionally charged scenes, I've really enjoyed kind of the second half of the last 10 years, the freedom to ride the wave of whatever, whatever comes in the moment. I don't have to cry on a certain line. And I was probably more in that. I don't know if I was ever totally like, I cry right here, but I was closer to that when I started. And it's been really fun. There's a scene with Thomas grieving, um, or there's a scene uh, in the current show that's actually in a hospital. It's not a Bible show, but it's faith-based, um, celebrating healthcare workers. Um, there's a grieving widow. And I have so enjoyed, and I know you do this, I've seen you do it at camp, um, to just be so in that moment that if something hits you as funny, you can laugh, even though it's a sad scene, or the the crying comes where you don't expect it because you're not thinking about where it comes and let the emotion happen. It's been really fun to be that free with it. Um, and then and then you do experience it, this widow character um, I never know what he, what mood he's going to be in from show to show. And I love that. I know he's grieving, but one line, literally like you're saying that can make somebody laugh or I can laugh as the character another night, the next night that may be where he breaks down. Um, and grief does that grief goes back and forth between joyful memory and sorrow so quickly. So yeah, I, I definitely feel like I've grown in that and had that powerful experience and then watching I think I've had to also learn to let the audience have their own experience. Um, the beauty of doing something hundreds of times is mm-hmm. you get to do that. <laughs> you get to kind of experiment and let go and play and see what happens. Um, but I, I, I think just as a, uh, personally Skylar, and I think that's why you asked the question, there's a freedom for yourself. There's a freedom for the audience that one person may be offended by this. Another person may totally resonate with it the Christmas drama I do has a grieving father who's King Herod has killed his little baby when Herod wiped out all the babies in Bethlehem trying to get rid of Jesus. It's in this cute little Christmas drama. Nobody thinks when they come into that church for the Christmas show, they're going to see a grieving father lifting up a prop of a dead baby grieving. That doesn't sound warm and cozy and, you know, time to sip your cocoa. And when I first started doing it, I thought, I don't know, Sunday morning, kids, is this going to fly? I can't tell you. Um, It didn't take many performances of walking out and people of all ages coming out with tears, saying profound words of thank you, because it allowed them 
to grieve in whatever journey they were in, they could come to church and cry. It let it open the dam for the, the floodgates so that tears could come. One woman said she hadn't been to church for three years since her husband died. She came because her friend begged her to come. She, I saw her out of the corner. I saw, I don't like to see the audience, but I could see that was close. Um, she was crying during the thing, came out and said, told me that I haven't been here for three years. My husband died. I will be back every Sunday now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's incredibly profound, really meaningful, deeply meaningful stuff. And it's fun. I did watch you do that. I will learn from you, Skylar, in that too. I think I was on that journey. Um, but saw the freedom and that value you had in that and and loved that for those listening, you played the part of Jesus in a piece really about community and how Jesus shaped that community. And you just, it was how I see Christ in you as a person anyway. It was a very natural thing for you to do, but you did that masterfully and with such use of your craft without him being, I'm actor boy, mm-hmm. just very natural. I saw that. I noticed that. I incorporated that. I tried to use more of that after watching you. So thank you for that. Um, so yeah, it's always, always full of surprises. I do like when the Christmas season comes, because I can put the main show I do on the shelf, give it a rest, and it's nice to come back and be fresh after a couple months. <laughs> I love doing the Christmas show because it's yeah. only one month, and I, I don't wear it out. But now the hospital, the new hospital show... Um, that's given me some more life and energy and pretty cool in light of COVID. So celebrating healthcare workers. So that's cool too. Um, yeah. I, speaking of our time creating theater, mm-hmm. first of all, I commend you. And again, a passion project of mine is like that director side of mm-hmm. things. Right. Um, the, the experience I had was because you created such a space for me to, um, to really enjoy, enjoy those moments. I really think I, I, the the image that constantly comes to my mind is when we're doing the Beatitudes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And we're sitting around and we're sharing them and then Mm -hmm. that moment. And then also with um, Elizabeth, and um, mm-hmm. her being deaf and me going up and just hugging her. Like those mm-hmm. two moments really are just like ingrained in my head as yeah. moments that I felt kind of elevated beyond. So um, powerful. Beyond like the actor side of me saying, oh, I need to do this and I need to say this and I need to be a part of this space. And I need to move here now. Yeah. It's that moment where you're like, you're just in present in the moment with that space. Yeah. So I commend you on like creating that space available for Mm-hmm. young people to experience theater and many of them, I think everyone's is, is the expectation for every, you know, member of the yeah. team to be in those plays every year. Right. It has been. Yeah. yeah. Some get away with the tech side. <laughs> Great. We, need them right. we did have some tech people. Great. Yeah. So I guess yeah. what is your, so taking the, the actor side and moving into the director's side, what mm-hmm. is, what is your kind of process for creating creating those spaces or creating those experiences for particularly yeah. young people who may have never experienced yeah. it before. And That's how an, do you engage that or why do you engage that in such a, a yeah. bold way? Because yeah. it is a, it's a great question, Skylar. I'm not at the camp anymore. So just to clarify, I don't do it anymore, but I would love for that to still be part of paraphrases ministry mm-hmm. there or anywhere else to come in and do arts camps or whatever. I do it for a variety of reasons. It's ultimately they, the, 
staff performs it for the guests. So it's the telling of the story and it's the powerful medium as we've been talking about. But I also know in any team experience, a show choir, basketball, a sport, anything where there's a common goal uh, and intentionality in how it's led, there's going to be this great bonding experience. But when you do that in the context of the gospel, then you've got this really powerful spiritual thing happening. Um, so it is shaped and formed. Uh, community is a huge value to me, and it's a huge value at the camp. And so by doing that drama, um, I don't tell them this is what's happening, but I know that community is being formed by the common goal of putting this thing together. I do have to be careful. I can go overboard because it's my passion. I have to keep myself in check. And sometimes I've worked, I could do rehearsals all day long and be thrilled and have to realize that's not everybody's thing. So I've had a few staff people over the years go, okay, that's plenty now. Um, <laughs> but overall, when it's done, you know, the project is solid. Um, nobody's complaining about it at that point. One of my favorite directors used to say in terms of quality performance, I'm going to push in rehearsals, but you will not be embarrassed on opening night. And I always remember that. The other thing that happens too is I very intentionally make that a collaborative effort to form the show. And some of the folks, whether they're theater people or not, they want me to come in and say, stand here, go there. You do this, you walk here on this line. I very much resist that for all kinds of reasons. I want it to be organic and authentic, and I want, but I want them to build it. I want them to have that and, and for it to be that's going to show more real life and authenticity if it grows out of that than me having it all written out in May and people arrive in June and it's all set. The people who don't like rehearsal get frustrated with that. I love it. And even if I have an end goal in mind, I have an end goal in mind. I have a pretty clear overall end goal in mind, but I'm not telling them necessarily that. Right. And uh, there's some frustration along the way, group frustration. And then you work through that and inevitably people come up with great ideas that I never had. Uh, and it's so much better with everybody's contribution. And we get, you know, God does something powerful. We did the year after you were there, I think we did the box drama. And this was based on a skit I did in Africa with my team. Two characters of mime then. They're fight, They're having a great, they're playing with a ball thrown around. And it's all mime. They, the ball goes sailing over with somebody's, one of them's head and he gets mad. They have a fight. They build a mime wall. They refuse to talk. And then one of them see the cross, the Jesus figure comes and breaks down the wall with the cross and their friends and skip off happy, loving together. Very simple skit we did and we didn't have to use language in Africa to do it. We had a guitar player, music. Yeah. Well, we built out a whole drama from that idea. I never told him I did it in Africa. I never told the staff that at a time. I knew what it was going to happen ultimately, but I gave it, I handed it over to them. The staff came up with starting with creation and we had boxes everywhere all over the field, just cardboard boxes of every shape and size. Mm. Kids were hiding in the boxes. The, the plant life came out of a box, then water, squirt guns came out, the order of creation. Little kids are in the boxes, like hopping around out of the boxes, like little animals playing tag. Adam and Eve ultimately come out of the box and the Christ figures, God figures leading them around. Gorgeous, down by the cross overlooking the lake. Satan figure comes with an apple. We do the whole fall into sin. People start fighting. All those boxes over the field get built into a huge wall, like really big wall across the field. And the two sides are warring and separate. Christ comes, stands in the gap, killed on the cross, taken away. He's hauled away. 
not like you, you disappeared under the parachute. Right. He's carried away. <laughs> then he's brought his dead body is brought back, put into the wall has been turned around while he's carried away to one solid wall, blocking the view of the lake and the cross. He's tucked in under, um, there's an empty space. It's the tomb now. They shoved the blast box in. And so it's all wall, totally silent. We had beautiful sound, um, a soundtrack to the whole thing. Silent, Satan is rejoicing, celebrating. Then you hear this earthquake. We had people hiding behind the boxes that nobody could see them. The ball comes tumbling down and there's Christ in front of the white cross. And Satan, the box is off all over Satan. Then he runs away. It was so cool. I had the basic idea, but it was that mm -hmm. Africa thing. The staff built a whole lot of that just from the sharing of ideas. But the first rehearsal, they were ticked. Because I just said, here's a bunch of boxes in a field. Let's go play with boxes and see what we find. <laughs> Classic theater guy, right? right. You that. They were like, what are we doing? It's hot. This is so, fr this is stupid. This is dumb. They still remember the day we played with boxes in the field. And out of that came all of that. That's theater, my friend. And combined with faith, it's cool. You get that. That's one of the reasons I love you, dude. It was yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I remember seeing pictures of that that performance, mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. it equally is just. I don't know what's making me excited in that as you're telling me that story. Is it the fact that like mm -hmm. I, the the collaboration and the just the energy yeah. around it, or you're you're selling you're selling of it? But it's just, um, or me going back to when we created artists together as well, yeah. and kind of the energy around that yeah. creation. I think there's yeah. something so powerful about a yeah. group of people coming together to create together. And I think that's something that you've, you've done really powerfully at Mount uh -huh. Carmel for these years. I've only done one with you, but I, based on yeah. your story here, that even, it sounds even yeah. more hard down than when it's you really, came to me. Really mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what, you, held cool. your, you held yourself to a standard and you had to keep building yeah. on it. <laughs> a bit too much, I will admit. Um, but that's continuing. They're still doing it now. Um, two things. One, the, at the end of the box thing, I forgot to say, and I want to say this, at the when that service was over, families would take a blanket. We told them to bring blankets or chairs. They would spread out all over the field in the camp and process the drama and talk about where are we at with conflict in our family? What kinds of tent, what walls have we built? Do we have any walls right now? Let's talk about it. And families would stay, they stayed and talked for quite a while. One guy's faith, a teenage kid who was just in a bad place, turn his life around, the family reconciled. I mean, so cool, the application. What are our walls? Let's talk about it. As simple as that. Um, you, coming back to the very first one that you did, what was so beautiful is you you knew instinctively um, in your understanding of who Christ is or was in that moment, I think, in the Beatitudes for people who aren't there, didn't see it, you went to each person. Different people would pop up and say one line, and you would echo back, kind of very Godspellish, echo back to them. Mm -hmm. But you met each, whatever that staffer brought to the table, whatever kind of character or lack of character they had, <laughs> happy, sad, you mirrored that so beautifully with such rhythm. Sad, you followed that with your tone of voice. Joyful, you took that tone. And that built the mixture and kind of that tapestry. You knew exactly what you were doing. And I knew what you were doing. Nobody else had to know it was that intentional, but there was also freedom in that. And it was such a picture of Christ. 
that in many ways is still my favorite, my favorite moment. There's, I like the various dramas over the years for different reasons, but that was such a picture of Christ. Beautifully done. And the Elizabeth moment, like you said, I also liked when my daughter Caitlin was dancing as the Holy Spirit and you had a moment where you came together and then parted again. That was super powerful to me as well. Kind of the Trinity together, Mm. separate working together. The rhythm of that was, was awesome as well. Yeah, this is, again, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Jonathan, because I'm just getting so energized. <laughs> I'm um, ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Are we, where are we meeting? In the middle? Uh, somewhere in Iowa, I suppose, to yeah, put, out, put out a play up. somewhere? <laughs> We're going to. We talk about it, don't we? And we never get it done. But you've been overseas for four years. and <laughs> I will give myself a little credit for two. But um closer now, though, because I'm, I'm not a <laughs> I have more freedom. So. All right. Well, we will definitely um, be talking about a father-son drama. We right? are. We are. I think I, that but, would be fantastic. Well, in this vein, I would love to know, Jonathan, um, this is going to be maybe a two-part here, but you've been in paraphrase, and we've had many conversations about expanding the ideas of yeah. paraphrase, or, but you also are so passionate and you're so good at creation mm-hmm. uh, with people and collaborating yeah. with people. Why do you make it a solo show? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you've, you've attempted to expand that for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, yeah, we can start there. It's funny you ask. When I started it, that was my other reason. I wanted my theater friends, I wanted to do shows with Christians and non-Christians. Mm-hmm. And I was clear in my mind, it was not, I wasn't just going to do Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar and all the God shows. Mm-hmm. We were going to do any of the classics, anything, because it was about the community. And my idea was building friendships. And to be clear, these are not projects to me, that sort of stereotype. I'm going to become a friend so I can force Jesus at them. I love my friends, Christian, non-Christian, wherever they're at. Those are very meaningful friendships to me in the theater world. I am a Christian, so I'd love for them to know the Jesus I know. So that's part of who I am. So part of the vision would be we're rehearsing, we're doing shows and having a blast, whatever it is. On Monday nights, Theater is dark. We have at the end of rehearsal for an hour, we talk about faith stuff. Nobody's forced to be there. They can if they want. That's as heavy as it was going to get. Just the sheer reality of time and needing to make a living, putting food on the table for my kids is really why that didn't evolve. Um, you, you, You know, things like benefits come into reality of life. So I had to be on the road to have the income consistently enough to do that. And when I was on the road, I couldn't, you know, be long enough, home long enough to do a drama, a mm-hmm. uh, communal drama. I did one version of the Christmas show that was a community thing. That was cool. Um, I still, even as recently as this week, was playing with something on Facebook, wrote up a cute little <laughs> skit thing, and somebody, a theater friend said, hey, we need to put that on the stage. And we said, let's rehearse Tuesday. And I was like, yeah, except I'm redoing my website, and I have to get that done, and I can't. Creativity can also be your enemy. You can go mm-hmm. creative to no end. It needs to serve something. And so it, that communal part, I have not given up that dream. But until I have more of the consistent income coming off of the camp job where I've got a consistent speaking schedule and a follow-up product that I can sell, um, I just can't afford it time and financially, which is sad to me. I really mm-hmm. want to get back to communal. I've got a little group of friends here who will be dynamite. They're wonderful performers. We've done a little bit here and there, started to dabble, and then there's just not time. But it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did I answer your question? It totally answered my question. I, yeah. I, I mean, so it sounds like well, my, my thought was, how do you use that kind of discretion and in, in making those kind of decisions going forward? And, and how do you mm-hmm. do those kind of decisions? But it sounds like, um, mm-hmm. all of the factors that come with, uh, being an adult living in this United States of America and living in a society yeah. that runs on, that continues to run, whether you're trying to run with it or not. And so you need to try to stay with it if you're going to get through it. There's a reality there. Most artists who want to start a theater have a very, very hard time. And most actors have a very hard time making a living. And there is an incredible blessing that I can get the churches or the conferences, assemblies, whatever that hire me. It's a, it's a decent paycheck for that compared to what my fellow actors are getting, you know, in doing a local dinner theater or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is a great blessing in that that mm-hmm. helps, but that doesn't necessarily color, ben, cover benefits and realities. So that that does crash in. Reality mm-hmm. happens unless you have a benefactor, and I have some of that of people supporting. Or if you want to go nonprofit, there's pros and cons to that. So I have had um, over the years, you know, I have people come up to me all the time asking. How do you do this? How do you make a living at it? You know, can you teach me how you did this? Yeah. The reality is, it's just hard. You, um, it's not easy, and you have to make sacrifices. And if my wife wasn't working, also, I couldn't do it. So, you know, it's not simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like so we're we're coming up on an hour mark here, or getting close yeah. to it. Um, yeah. And so we can. I th- I feel like we've spent our time chatting about theater and faith. And I feel mm-hmm. like that is very pertinent to both of our, our stories and yeah. our, our lives. And so I feel that's very important. Um, mm-hmm. But I figured we could, um, we could vamp off for about 15 minutes on a different topic. If Go you wanted to, what you want to or talk we could start to wind down. Um, well, I, I was back on you anytime, you know, <laughs> you t- no, so no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, we can we can make this a dialogue here. We'll try to keep it. I think I saw some of the podcasts about one fifteen. So no matter where we're at, we'll try to keep it to that. Um, All right. Yesterday, you had mentioned a, a moment um, or just a brief s- second of saying how you're very fascinated and interested in, and it's a very, I think, pertinent conversation to our current discourse as a country and as mm-hmm. a, as a world yeah. on like the different ways that we communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, you, you have, we've talked this far about how valuable stories are to you and what, and mm-hmm. the way that, you know, you believe communication, even if it is on a big scale of like standing on a stage and communicating to a broad audience, or whether that's having a conversation like this, we also, you obviously highly prioritize and value this as well. Um, what is, I mean, what, is, what are your experiences in the last, or what is, what has brought that on your heart? to, to evaluate the way we communicate, what is um, your current processes for developing positive conversations um, and and where are you at on that? Yeah. Well, I have come both through what's happened in our world politically and health wise with COVID. Those things are hand in hand. I realize also in my own journey um, of some difficult things on the work scene where there wasn't good communication, in my opinion, um, real thorough. I, I've come to learn that I really, truly value everybody getting a chance to speak at the table, even if you think the person across the table's opinion is insane. 
that we can, we have to be able to let them speak and hear and try with everything we have to understand authentically, not just buying time so then we can shout our opinion at them. We're seeing the results of not doing that clearly. Our world is just completely freaking out here. And I don't want to go overly political because more than ever now, it's on both sides if you're talking politically. Mm-hmm. We have demonized anybody who disagrees with us instantly. They are bad. Not just their opinion, not that I disagree with you. You are bad if you disagree with me is what it's come down to. I can now, I and the whole can, cancel culture thing goes right, follows right behind it. So if I disagree with you, you are bad, you are done, you no longer exist, we stop communicating. We're in a deadly place with that continuing. I go a little stir crazy with people who differ than me on some of the political stuff. And I've got people on the other side of the fence who do as well. It is rare. It is really rare to find anybody in social media who is willing to stand in the middle a little bit and have that kind of mutual conversation. And as a Christian, if anybody should be able to do this, this is what's heartbreaking to me right now. If anybody should be able to do that well, if our faith is what we say it is, it should be, or what Christ taught, it is Christians. And I'll again, I'm trying to be equal opportunity here. Christians on both sides of the issues are not doing that well. And it's so destructive, so destructive. Churches are being ripped apart. I passionately believe in Jesus Christ. I think that's apparent in this conversation. But we are doing as a church, as a body of a group of believers on both sides, such a horrific job of representing the message of Christ. Just just a horrific job. So people in your generation, but not just your generation, any age are so turned off, understandably repulsed by that tone and dialogue. Why would I want to be any part of that if I'm a non-believer? It's it's horrifically inhumane, and it just needs to stop if we are representing Christ. Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm very, very sad about that whole thing. I've gone from being angry to being very sad, mm-hmm. um, and. We, we just, we have to do better. I have also been encouraged by people in prominent nationally known positions who have spoken out and gone against the tide of their particular brand or denomination and been willing to say some things that are insane or come on, we got to do this better um, and taking a lot of hits for that. Um, so we, we got to do it. In my, in my faith life, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we're not representing it well. We got we to gotta communicate. When I was leaving one of my churches over a different, at a different time, keep this generic, I was <laughs> probably departing for a whole different set of reasons. But the church was in the middle of a real big debate at the time. And I remember the last, one of the last sermons I gave, I said, you know, there are people who love Jesus right here in this room right now. And up to this point, nobody had named this in a sermon or in the service. There's people in the room right right here with you, maybe next to you, who love Jesus and God's word passionately, who believe this. And there are people who love Jesus and are sold out on that. It's the word of God, the Bible, who believe this. We have differences of opinions. Neither one of those opinions is what gets us to heaven. 
we got to learn how to deal, do this well because our kids are watching us. Mm-hmm. This is the moment where our faith proves it to be real or not and how we love each other while we disagree. The kids are watching you. What are you going to do? Half the people said, thank God you gave that sermon. Half were pissed at me. Um, that's the human condition, I guess. So it matters. I don't know if I answered your question. We got to dialogue better. Mm-hmm. We, the world's falling apart. My word. There's enough enemies and insanity out there for people of faith to be fighting each other. Oof. Okay. Soapbox. I'll step off now. Um, but you, I mean, Jonathan, that's again, why I think we're so connected is the passion that you feel for, I mean, just everything we were talking about that little yesterday, the passion that we feel as artists can sometimes be absolute blessing and a curse because yeah. it's a curse. We yeah. feel so passionate and I'm with you. And it's, 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 yeah. I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. I, I think for a part of the thing, same thing that, you know, maybe you were experiencing your junior year of, of, of college yeah. there when I said, yeah. I'm just not experiencing, I'm not feeling like theater's doing the thing that it needs to be doing right now. And, and I needed to yeah. run and do something else. And, and that's kind of how I yeah. ended up doing Peace Corps. Right. I think yeah. our passions um, bring us into those, those, yeah. those experiences and bring us into different mm-hmm. places. I think that's right. And that's what I sense in you too. It's, it's a tool. It's a vessel or a tool for a cause. It's not the end means in itself. It's not the, the applause and curtain call. I don't think either one of us is doing it for that. Mm-hmm. No, that that's fun. That's not why we're doing it. Uh, it needs to serve uh, and serve a mission of love, right? And building up somehow healing or what's the point? Um, yeah. I got a question for you. There's this this wave of, or this, this roller coaster of emotion that it sounds like we've been on it as a country. And, and you kind of alluded to in your, you were angry. It was mm-hmm. probably fear, right? Initially, or like whatever it was initially into anger of like, yeah. why aren't we just communicating with each other into now we're just sad. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to well, ask about like positive kind of interactions and how we can lean into positive is it yeah. is it as a as a people we need to get to a place or an emotion before we can have that is sadness yeah. is kind of that defeat that kind yeah. of like just yeah. being so overwhelmed by this consistency of aggression and anger yeah. and, and frustration yeah. um this because you're you know you alluded to social media as well and i, I think social media is just a, a is the extremes of every opinion comfortable enough to share their opinion online. And there Mm -hmm. are a lot more people that are wanting to and willing to communicate, but every time they step into this fear of, I want to communicate, they're struck by how extreme and how aggressive Mm -hmm. it is. And they're fearful that it's just going to continue to weigh them down even more, no matter how hard they want to. So do you feel like we need is sadness a place to start or is it, what is, what is the, the emotion yeah. or the experience that we need to get to in order for us to start having those yeah. experiences of positive yeah, communication. It's a, great, it's a great question. I think I would take that concept of sadness that you're saying and maybe talk about brokenness or or in a, a healthy way, letting go or resigning one's own pride, um, whether it's a faith-based thing or something else. Humanity has this condition of selfishness and self-focus that plagues us and until you reach the point of being broken to say whether I'm choosing to or not, I am broken. I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I, I have to listen to you. I can, I've tried everything myself until we reach that point of brokenness or whatever word like it you want to use, we're going to be focused on ourselves. 
Um, it's I think it's only when we reach that brokenness that we are freed up from the I, the me factor, to be able to listen and to serve others selflessly, et cetera. So I think that that brokenness or that anger for me was realizing it was just causing more division. Anger meets anger and you're just building up the wall again, right? Um, so somehow mellowing myself out. Mm. And this too, in some of the work environments I've been in, emotional, I'm a strong-willed, hot-headed guy, but I also know that I love really well. Um, so trying to reconcile some difficult departures, it has been hurtful to me when people who profess to be Christians would not bring closure or reconcile. People who say they're followers of Christ would not have um, to say, yeah, we maybe need to part and go different ways, but we can love each other, literally give each other a hug and say, I wish you well. This has been hard, but we're on the same team against truly what is evil in the world. We don't have the time or the luxury to not do anything but love each other in the midst of our differences. And so I see it in the politics. I see it in the church world. You know, it, it that breaks my heart. I'm also maybe an idealist. I'll end with Mano La Mancha for wrapping up musical theater, my love. And this is revealing, and it's maybe not realistic. It's idealistic, but I'm not giving it up. Perhaps to be too practical is madness. To surrender dreams, this may be madness. But maddest of all is to see life as it is and not as it should be. And not as it should be. Yeah, we can do better. Because it's not us. And faith, you got the power of Christ in you. Christ can do it when we can't. So let's be who we say we are. And and that's um, that. I'm sure you saw that in Africa, the with the mime, because a lot of kids are really drawn to that. Um, but also mm-hmm. just this this uh, the joys that we have of, of being of seeing the world as a as a kid or as a clown, like that kind of yeah. that ability yeah. to see and hope and and kind of lean yeah. on a younger generation or a young 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 kids yeah. and be able to see yeah. through their eyes for a second to not see Joyful. bickering yeah. anger and and pain, but see yeah, hope and joy. It. Yeah, not tainted, not mm-hmm. cynical and tainted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like that is a wonderful place to start to wind down. Um, I I don't I don't know if I know necessarily how to finish this off. I was going to th- I was thinking my my question. I wanted to to kind of um, I heard this maybe on another podcast. I don't know if it what what the podcast was called, but um, the question that I wanted to ask you to finish it off here is is um, Again, you're you're kind of you're a mentor to me, and you're somebody that um, I think has a profound impact on other people's lives, and has impacted many many lives. Um, if if you could um, share in your experience um, or in how you're intending to live the rest of your life, what is mm. what is the meaning of, of of like living a good life, and how do you intend um, to do this this thing yeah. called life for for however much longer we we are blessed to live on this earth. That is a nasty, nasty question you're trying to wrap up with because it's <laughs> very much heavy, heavy on my heart and a big part of, it's a big question for me. Did right not now. plan this out. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I would say 
I have been in a hard season since COVID hit for a number of reasons and um, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically go down the line. To be a Christian doesn't mean you have a perfect life. And I've been in a, in a, in a valley. It's been hard and I have wept more than I have for years. It has been very challenging. Somehow by the grace of God, my faith life doesn't give up on me. And I'm so grateful for that. I realize that's not the case for everybody, but I have had moments in the last year or two. One, I was at the kitchen sink, looking out over our backyard, doing dishes and literally crumbled and fell in front of the sink, weeping, just sad. And I know a lot of the world is sad right now. We go keep coming back to that word, but this is personal for me for a variety of reasons outside of COVID. What, what I know, um, I'm not sure if this is answering your question directly, but I am more interested in um, clearing out some of the stuff that doesn't matter in this season in my mid to late 50s now, making some more intentional choices to not try to do everything, to say more clearly what was I created to do and focus in on that and take full advantage of that rather than try to do 27 things. Um and I don't not have answers, which bugs me as an idealist for bringing people together. I don't have an answer for somebody who will refuse to meet me, who's still angry at me. When I know my heart is so willing to love, it is so willing to reconcile and they won't do it. That breaks me, but I've had to, I'm learning. I haven't learned it. I'm having to learn to let go and trust that God's working in their heart in that timing. And that ultimately that's not about me. Um, I just want everybody to get along, including with me. And sometimes that can't happen. So realizing I'm not God as part of my journey in the last few years in that perspective, in that, um, definition of that, and then picking up the pieces and saying, my dad says this to me. I often, my dad is just so full of wisdom. Um, life is solve. Life consists of solving problems. It's not sugar-coated. That is what life is. You solve one problem, you get the next problem. But putting together, this is maybe where I can try to wrap this up. I don't know if I'm being coherent on this. I went to the movie Inside Out. I think this was after you had worked at camp. It came yeah. out. Mm -hmm. I, had, I, I couldn't leave the theater, Skyler. I don't know if we've talked about this. I, um, I had, I've been a pastor for 25 years and counseled people who had had anxiety or panic attacks. Mm -hmm. I'd never had one. I couldn't leave the theater. I, I couldn't move. When they talked about the islands crashing and the coming together of joy and sadness, that it's okay for sadness to exist. I've been talking a lot about, we've been talking about sadness, that you're not going to get rid of that. Joy can't be forced on sadness to make it go away. You're always going to have both. So then how do we live with that reality? This is our broken real world. It is joy and sadness together. You don't have to pretend that sadness doesn't exist. You can let joy carry and support you, but live in the reality of that. And then what are you going to do about that? Are you going to be a person that extends that joy? Or are you going to be a person who extends seasons or varieties or character of sadness for other people? Be a person of joy. Hmm. God allows you to do that while being real with where you're at. So I'm still figuring out what I'm doing in this COVID world. Um, but I'm determined, I am determined to be a person of love. Even if the other person isn't loving me back, I'm going to love you anyway, doggone it. <laughs> and that's freedom. That's peace. That's forgiveness. And that's, that's the way to live.
right? So let's see what God does with the rest. And Skylar, I know you are that way too. I would love to turn this around and interview you because you have that <laughs> same heart. And I know God's working in your faith in a variety of ways. And I would just say for you or anybody who's listening to this, who's wherever you're at in that journey of faith in your own personal journey, in my belief, God's got you right where you need to be in God's timing. God's going to tell you what you need to know. And, you know, as long as you're continuing to ask questions and open to dialogue and to what God might be saying, God's going to bring you to where, where he wants you to be, where you're going to be happiest, where your calling is. So let's keep talking. I'm excited about your journey. Yeah. We've got to do a play together very soon, Jonathan. That would be so cool. <laughs> That'd be awesome. All right. Well, I- Formally here, Jonathan, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a guinea pig with me and letting me yeah. ask you some questions That's and fun. sharing your story with these people. And um, thank you to everybody that listened to us and enjoyed the conversation. Um, and I'm going to stop it now, but thank you, Jonathan. Love you. Mm-hmm.